Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer in the modern world. Between 2000 and 2014, 46 mental health patients died following the use of physical restraint. But there's now a push to change the law around the use of restraint in mental health services. I'm Connor Pope, Progress Deputy Editor, and I'm joined by Progress Director Richard Angel and Editorial Assistant Hannah Shah. We'll be discussing that with Steve Reid, MP for Croydon North, who's been leading the push for reform in Parliament. First, the local elections campaigns is underway, with millions heading to the polling station on May the 3rd. The vast majority of these council seats were last elected in 2014. That year gave Labour a projected national vote share of 31%, which was almost exactly what we got in the following year's general election. But that year, UKIP got an equivalent of 17%. So just how well are we going to do? Steve, I'll start with you. You're a former London council leader. It's true. How confident would you be right now if you were still in that role? Well, the worrying thing is you can be overconfident and then be a bit shocked by what happens. But uh, the way the polls are in London at the moment, you know, there's every reason to be optimistic about that. We were out on the doorstep in Upper Norwood in part of my constituency uh, at the weekend and coming back after that canvas, 75% of people we'd spoken to told us they were going to vote Labour, which if anything is slightly up on the general election. So, you know, no complacency, we fight (laughs) for every vote, but I think we've got reasons for some quiet optimism. Incredible. So even on the 40% that we got last year, you're getting the sense on the doorstep that we're still gaining votes. Well, you know, I mean, up, up and Nord, great place, not necessarily <laughs> representative of the whole country. I haven't been up to, um, you know, constituencies outside London and we don't know, I don't know uh, how it feels out there. Mm. But in London, it's feeling pretty positive at the moment. And the issue that was coming up was knife crime. That's really mm. shot up the agenda recently for people. And unsurprisingly, given the scale of deaths that we've seen on the streets of London in uh, recent months, it's, it's an absolute crisis. And we need an emergency response. And we're getting, instead of that, nothing from the government. Absolutely nothing. Mm. Richard, what kind of sense are you, are you getting? Well, I went out in Greenwich and Newham this weekend, and the response was overwhelming and overwhelmingly positive. It does feel like the polls are right. You've got a combination of factors happening. I think the mayoral system in London means that it's a two-party state anyway. You kind of, for that big job, you have to decide whether you're 
in the Labour tribe or the Tory tribe. So I think that's already formalising that in London. I think you then still have a big legacy on Zach Goldsmith's campaign that that has left a real sour tone with lots of people in the ethnic minority communities that might otherwise have appealed to the Tories that have been set back and aren't yet ready to give the Tories a second chance. And then, of course, that's compounded by a general election, which did split the country right down the middle, two sides getting 40% of the vote. And that is only continuing in the capital. So that is really happening. And what you're seeing is Labour on the front foot in Wandsworth, in Westminster, and in Kensington and Chelsea. And I think that's interesting. The other thing is that nobody seems to want to be the Tory mayoral candidate up against Sadiq Khan next time round. He, of course, is doing a really good job in very difficult times. And places like Croydon and Redbridge, where we only won in 2014, the Tories seem to have almost fallen away. We've barely got a Conservative campaign in Redbridge. And where they have, they're not vying to run the council. They're vying to hold on to what they've got. And that seemed to be the experience in Greenwich as the Tories are running a defensive strategy because they feel we're still coming for their seats. So there's no fight back from the Tories almost anywhere in London. And the map just looks completely different to, you know, when Steve won the council in 2006, you had a number of Lib Dem councils, a number of Tory councils. Now the whole capital is being swept red. And it's a good kind of selection of uh, councils for Labour this time, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think the story in North East Lincolnshire is really interesting as well. Obviously, we saw that UKIP's support has pretty much collapsed in the area. And Mm. what I want to see is whether Labour will be able to take advantage of it. Obviously, as you've said, we're doing really well in London at the moment. And Jeremy Corbyn has proven to be a great driving force for that. But whether he can sort of create that appeal in other parts of the country, particularly areas like Grimsby, North East Lincolnshire, many of whom voted leave, is really interesting. I wonder if some of those Midland seats as well, there'll be this kind of knock-on effect from what's happened in Tory Northamptonshire, where the council effectively has gone bust. And it's showing people that actually the Tories are really just bad at running things at every single level of government in this country. Well, it's, it's very hard for the Conservatives to claim that austerity hasn't gone too far when it's Tory councils that have gone bankrupt, <laughs> uh, isn't it? And uh, no, in, in, in London, taking it back to London again, the issue is crime at the moment. People have seen over recent years since the Tories came to power, where we used to have seven uniformed officers out in every ward you're lucky if you've got two now and people know instinctively that they were the eyes and the ears of the justice system on the streets they knew the families that were getting into trouble they knew by name the people that were getting involved in crime that's gone that's gone and the system's going out of control. and the Tories are of course trying to blame Sadiq Khan but the budget that he has to work with is being set by national government he himself has made the important decision to try and supplement that budget to get police officers back on the street but his ability to pull levers is diminished by Boris's eight wasted years as mayor and one of the things that he did do in that period of time was close so many police stations down so in Redbridge we're basically left with one police station left and therefore the ability for the police to be out and about to be visible and seen is massively diminished so even if Sadiq were minded to do even more than he's doing and I think he's trying his best like the levers that are available to him are seriously diminished because of Boris's time as mayor. But I think even more than that it's important to remember that this is more widely a result of greater Tory austerity. So something like cuts to shore start centres or cuts to youth services are incredibly important because this is not just an acute problem that, you know, has just happened. It's something that the Police Federation were warning about and people have been warning about for years and years. And it's only now that you can see knife crime and gang violence as a result of 
actually really deep-rooted social problems that just aren't being tackled by the Tory government. And, and do you know what? This this isn't the first time that's happened because we had a similar problem in the early 2000s, a similar problem in the early 1990s. And in both cases, it was the tail result of a series of cuts to precisely those youth services, family support, early intervention that the Conservative government had taken away. Every time they do it, a few years later, a generation grows up without the support it needs and those who are most vulnerable get involved in youth crime and the result is what we're seeing on the streets today. Yeah, and there's none of the intermediate services between being in custody and with the police and being out in the community and thriving. You know, the youth workers you've already mentioned, but the probation service is a shadow of its former self and therefore you're just seeing these cycles of violence and those who want a, a, a route out of that have got nowhere to turn and nowhere to look for and that surely is the kind of minimum we should provide that those people who want to take charge of their circumstances want to try and get out of the gang that they're in or the situation they find themselves who now do they turn to? There's one factor actually which is new in all this and that's social media. So we've basically got very large unsupervised spaces where young people are interacting with goodness knows who, who are influencing those young people to do things they wouldn't normally have done without any adult supervision to guide them in a different direction. And I think we need to get a lot more focus on what's happening there, how we keep young people safe there, how we train and educate young people to keep themselves safe online because the level of bullying, intimidation and coercion that is happening there is happening largely unseen by adults. Absolutely. But certainly it seems that the Tory agenda is really starting to kind of come back on the doorstep now. And uh, I think we'll certainly see a result of that on May the 3rd. We should probably... Don't be complacent and get on the doorstep. (laughs) Progress has got a series of uh, campaign days across the capital and we'll be going outside London a little bit as well. So make sure you come and join us. We'll make sure they're advertised in the show notes under this podcast. We should probably leave that conversation there. But next we'll be talking about Shaney's Law. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm June Sarpong, and if you like the Progressive Britain podcast, then we ask you to subscribe, rate, or review it on iTunes, because that's how we reach a larger audience. And that's what progressive politics is all about. Steve Reid, can I ask you about the background to Cheney's Law and, and, and what it is? Well, Cheney's Law is an attempt to reduce the use of 
force, violent force against people who are in mental health um, hospitals because they're ill. Mm. And unfortunately, in this country, we have still far too much of the old Victorian asylum mentality, where people who are mentally ill are a problem to be contained rather than somebody who is unwell who needs to be treated with care and compassion to get healthy again. So is this a widespread problem, do you think, in mental health services, the way that patients are treated? I think that minds there's still some hangover of that Victorian mindset. Of course it's not as it's, of course it's not as bad as it was back in the times where you had asylums in that yeah, way. Yeah. But there is still some qualitative difference in the way that we treat people who are mentally ill compared to people who are physically ill and even more worrying than that that the difference in treatment affects different demographic groups in different ways so for instance women are more likely to be physically restrained than men mm. which is quite shocking really hard to understand why that would be and I mean, my, my view, I've come very clearly to the view that there's some form of unconscious bias or institutional racism in the system as well. Because if you look at the faces of people who have been killed, who have died as a, use, a result of the use of force, they are overwhelmingly young black men. But the mental health hospitals are not predominantly populated by young black men. So something is happening that means you're more likely to die if you're a young black man in, in, a, in, in a British mental health unit or hospital. How did you get involved in, in this campaign? What's the background? Yeah, of that? well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, like, like all good issues for MPs, this one came to me via some constituents who came to see me. I was elected at the back end of 2012. Um, and some of the first people I met uh, were the parents of a young man called Shenny Lewis, as you and Comrade Lewis came to see me. What happened to their son was he came back from a night out with some friends on the Saturday and on the Sunday on the Sunday morning he was behaving in a very agitated way. They recognised it as a mental health episode. He'd never had one before. He was a young graduate. he just finished a university looking forward to a successful life. They took him to the local hospital. He ended up at the Royal Bethlehem Mental Health Hospital uh, on, the, on the borders of Croydon. Parents stayed with him until... 8pm, but then had to go home to get some rest for themselves. He was a voluntary admission at that point. Once he realised his parents had gone, he became very agitated. He kicked a door trying to get out. He believed he had a right to get out because he, he hadn't been sectioned at that point. And there's never been any allegation that he assaulted or threatened any people. But nevertheless, the hospital called the police and it ended up with 11 police officers taking Shenny into a seclusion unit with his arms handcuffed behind his head, his legs in shackles, face down on the floor, while they took it in turns to sit on him. And in the end, he suffered a heart attack and a broken God. spine. And, you know, he was within hours was dead. And for the parents to have done, you know, they did the right thing. Their, their child was ill. They took him to hospital and he was killed, effectively. Something had gone severely wrong. Now, when I met Shenny's parents, and this would have been in early uh, 2013, three years after he'd, he'd been killed, there still hadn't been a coroner's inquest into why he had died. There were some severe failings that were stopping that happening. So my first task with them was to campaign for that inquest to take place finally happened after a series of interventions in parliament necessary to make it happen but in june 2017 so seven years after he died and the coroner's verdict when we had it and i'd sat with the parents through uh, some of the sessions some of the hearings for that was absolutely damning of the police the health services failing after failing after failing that contributed to the death of an otherwise fit and healthy 21 year old man with his whole future ahead yeah. of him and shockingly again if you look back at the findings of other coroners' investigations, other reports of others who have died in mental health settings, 
They keep making the same recommendations again and again and again, but it was never affecting the way that the system treated people. So this has been going on for decades. People have been being killed unnecessarily. There are real fears that unconscious bias, racial bias, contributed to assumptions people made in the hospital about Shenny because he was a young black man and assumptions people have in their heads about young black men, drugs, psychosis and mm. violence. He was sub subjected to greater levels of force than would have been the case elsewhere. As things stand, it's very hard to prove that, but just look at the faces of the people who have been killed and it's pretty obvious what's gone wrong. I think that's often how racial inequality of that kind really finds itself, doesn't it? It's, it's improvable, but if you look at the statistics, then it's, it's very it's clear. The statistics you see, the government's own race inequality report that came out at the end of uh, last year, mm. it sat on a shelf for about nine months before it finally came out, but we finally got it. It said all sorts of things about deaths in custody and was a very helpful report at identifying all sorts of ways that there's racism in the public services. But it had nothing to say about mental health services or deaths in mental health services. And the reason for that is there's no standardised way of collecting the data. So from, from what you can see, some mental health hospitals use physical or other forms of restraint against over 50% of their patients. Others, it's less than 5%. Now, there's no reason for that disparity, but you can't compare what Hospital A is doing with what Hospital B is doing because they don't collect the data in the same way. So you can't scrutinise the system. So, the, you know, the first thing that we're doing in this bill, the first set of clauses in it, is to standardise the way that data is recorded, collected, collated, and then published. So we open up the entire system to full scrutiny. So we can measure the extent of racial bias or gender bias or gender or, or, or bias against people with learning disabilities or other disabilities. Once you've exposed that, you can put in strategies to, to deal with it. But for as long as we don't know what's going on, then it's impossible to correct it. Uh, and it's very, it's very important part of this bill. It doesn't sound exciting, <laughs> standardising data collection, but actually it's fundamental to pushing equality through the whole mental health services. It helps you diagnose the problem better, as it were. It's fundamental. And so this, this bill uh, is now a private member's bill. It sounds yeah. like it's been, you know, kind of you've been pushing for it now for five years and obviously Shaney's parents even longer. And it's been dubbed Shaney's Law after, yes. after Shaney Lewis. So what, what kind of stage are we at now? It's important for me and for, for Shaney's parents that it is called Shaney's Law as well because, you know, these are two absolutely amazing you hear the word dignified used so often about people who have lost a, a loved one who's close to them but 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 for, for Aji and Conrad they are so mm. dignified the pain they have suffered but when you speak to them about what they want to come out of this their answer is very simple they just don't want Shaney to have died in vain and for them if they can use what happened to Shaney and his death to prevent that happening to other people then at least some glimmer of light has come out of this terrible darkness that descended over their lives where the bill is at now i was lucky in that you you get we all get allocated put into a ballot as mps and if you come at the top of the ballot you get a slot for a private members bill and i came near the top and the first thing i wanted to do was was address this issue mm -hmm. because it was so important to people in my constituency so we got through first reading is where you just announce the the bill that goes through very quickly second reading is the stop go stage really we had that before christmas 
got unanimous support on all sides of the House to proceed at that point. We've now gone into committee. Committee stage is going ahead. The government is slightly playing games with it by not passing. It's called a money resolution, which allows the financial aspects of the bill to be dealt with. So we've had four weeks of delay because of that, but I'm hopeful still we'll be able to progress through committee by uh, certainly by the end of this month. Then we come back to the Commons in June. Mm. Uh, assuming all goes well with that, it goes into the Lords and... With any luck, the Shelley's law becomes the law of the land before the end of this calendar year. Richard and Heather, I'd just like to bring you in here. We've done episodes of the podcast previously about mental health, and I kind of want to look at some of the wider issues around this as well. Partly it seems to tie into wider issues around how we perceive mental health and funding for services. Should Shelley's law be seen as a wider push to reform the Mental Health Act, do you think? Well, I think it clearly should, but it seems like there's such... It's such an egregious set of circumstances that led to what happened to this poor young man and the implications that continue to go on for his family. It's almost you know, appalling what happened, the injustice in the first place, but their inability to get answers, closure and what goes with that persists. And that's pretty mean and unpleasant of this government to allow that situation to persist. And you have to go to these levels to get this sorted out and, and these issues addressed, I think, just kind of shows the tip of the iceberg this probably is in the system. And that if, you know, if Steve's bill is successful, which obviously we all hope, it will unveil a set of problems that we suspect but can't yet specify. And so therefore, you know, the end isn't getting this bill passed. The end is the kind of rich data that we will get from this bill being passed. And I suppose one of the things that Steve is hoping, without putting words into his mouth, is that this will bring through other parents who've had a similar example. They'll be able to get answers themselves. We might be able to draw together the various coroner's reports and show the systemic nature of this in this sector. So it will be, you know, for those who are campaigning for the rightful changes that are needed in this sector, this is going to be not a solution more as more power to their elbow, it seems to me. That's exactly right, Richard. I mean, one of the other things the bill will do is the Secretary of State will have to publish a report annually collating all of the findings and recommendations from coroner's uh, investigations into a single report and say what the government's doing to enact them. See, that, that again, it means instead of these findings just vanishing into the ether, they will now be used to try and protect lives uh, in the future. And every mental health hospital will also be required by this law to have in place a policy and strategy for reducing the use of force. You see, in, in many, if, if you can get a disparity as wide as 5% in some hospitals and 50% in others of the number of patients that are experiencing force, then you know that there's an issue of culture in some of those hospitals where instead of trying to de-escalate a situation, they're just rushing in far too readily and using force, physical force, violence against people. Are you suspecting that it is that the 5% is underreported or the 50% is an outrider situation? No. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. No, I, I, I believe there are, some, there are some brilliant examples in our National Health Service. So Mersey Care uh, up on Merseyside is often cited as one of the really good examples. They've had a policy in place for a long time for reducing the use of force and eliminating it wherever that's possible. But we can't compare like with like. I can't see what's happening in Merseyside and look at what's happening in a, uh, another care trust or county because they don't collect data in the same way and until we can do that we can't apply the learning from one to the other as steve said people from uh, black and minority ethnic backgrounds are more commonly report the use of force in mental health units 
What do we think can be done about that? And is it a case of increasing diversity in our mental health professionals? Or is there a wider issue here? Henry, if I could come to you on that. Absolutely. I think this is really interesting on sort of two fronts. I think firstly, what you've all said is very true in that systemic policy change is needed in order to create this cultural change. But also too, I think it's a question of people having confidence in the system in which they find themselves. And I think what's really sad about this story is that Shaney's parents despite all the rhetoric and all the feeling that lots of people from ethnic minority backgrounds feel about services like mental health services and the prison service and the police service, took him to hospital so that he could be supported in the knowledge or the understanding that he would be in safe hands and he was killed. And that's just further evidence of something that is totally pervasive and that actually we don't like to think about Mm. in terms of a really awful cultural and confidence crisis that ethnic minority people are having with pretty much all forms of public service in this country. And I think, yeah, increasing diversity is really important. Like there are some fantastic programs. So they've they've um, recently started a program called Think Ahead, which is a mm-hmm. mental health social work program. And it's designed to diversify and get young people into mental health social work. One of my best friends is actually a mental health social worker in South London. And she reports all these same problems that we talk about, a lack of funding, a lack of resources, and actually a lack of a desire for systemic change from the people around her, um, which is really interesting. So not only diversity in schemes like that and moves to sort of change the culture, but also what we need is a much broader rethink of how our mental health services work and what we can do to open them up and make them more transparent. The bill will require training on diversity issues and and remarkably at the moment you don't have to have been trained at all to administer physical force against somebody who's mentally ill under uh, once the law passes no training at all not none at no all. diversity training nope, you can no be training. taken on as a temporary member of staff and use force against the patient straight away and under oh, the provisions shocking. of this bill you will have to be trained but i think the, the bigger issue that you raise there henna about how the bme communities feel about this is very very important i again i mean you can't fail to understand the importance of this issue by talking to Shaney's parents. But I was speaking to a, the constituency I represent is very, very diverse. I was speaking to um, uh, a forum from the black community uh, and I was talking about Shaney's law uh, and I asked people in the audience, has anyone here got concerns about the mental health services and racial bias in them? Half the hands in the room went up, which shocked me straight away. And I went round the room and said, okay, minute each, tell me what your story is. And everybody had a story to tell me about a friend, a relative, somebody they knew who they felt had been treated in a discriminatory way because of their race in these services. And then when you ask people, well, what do you do about this? Well, an awful lot of people in those communities simply don't use those services. They will either self-diagnose, which obviously isn't safe, because if you do that, it'll get worse. They pay to go private if they can afford it, and most people can't, of course, or or they will take a family member outside the country to be treated. So you've got a significant Mm. proportion of our BME population afraid to use publicly funded services that exist for them just as much as anybody else. And therefore, this is actually an issue about equalities, straight and simple equalities. You should not be treated differently just because you're uh, from a different ethnic background. And you certainly should not fear 
death in public services because of your race or your gender. But at the moment, in the mental health services, that is what we have. And I'm sure there's no better way of losing faith in the system than when things go very wrong, despite the fact that you've done everything right. And it sounded like Shaney's parents did that. They, they At the first sign of episode, they you know took him to a hospital and they stayed there and they left at what seemed like a fairly reasonable time after ha- having stayed, believing that he was in the right place for what was happening for him now. That's it. I mean, from from their point of view, they did everything that they should do, and yet their son was killed. And not only was their son killed, but they then had to fight the state for seven years just to get a modicum of justice for Shenny. And that, again, is is an indictment uh, on a system that can allow that to happen to parents. And if this law goes through, there will be automatically an independent, a fully independent investigation of every death in a mental health uh, setting with full legal aid to the family of the person who's died. And again, at the moment, uh, Shenny's parents, when we finally did get the inquest, had no legal support. Uh, but of course, all of the alleged perpetrators had the full resources of the state behind them. So there's an imbalance in the system everywhere you look. So this is and actually... Has anybody been held accountable for their actions as part of it? Nobody, no. There was a, there was a hearing about the police who had been involved in this and none of them were found to have been at fault out of 11 again what what this law will try and do to address that is in each mental health hospital there will be a named senior manager accountable for the existence of a policy on the reduction of the use of force and also responsible for its implementation so there will no longer be the room for people to evade responsibility when things go wrong that's remarkable how 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 appalling that that is necessary but the government is now starting to support at least ele- elements of this bill yes and you know to 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 be fair I think the weight of the argument is so strong, even this government couldn't set themselves entirely against it. Where we still have disagreements is on that point about fully independent investigations and legal aid for the family. They haven't agreed with me on that yet, but we'll keep pushing as we go through uh, Parliament for it. And you know, despite, and as far as you're concerned, that isn't, that's a, a core element of this bill, isn't it? As far as I'm concerned, I want no family to have to go through what um, Adi and Conrad Lewis went through for seven years after the state killed their child. And when I use that terminology advisedly, you should not have to fight for justice when your child is dead. It's as straightforward as that. So we need other MPs to uh, to support this when we're going through committee stage and when we get to um, report stage and third reading in the House of Commons. But just as importantly is support outside Parliament, because all we are in Parliament, MPs are the end of a continuum. We need action and voices and campaigning out there on the streets as well. And we're very, very fortunate to have had, uh, with uh, Shenny's Law, so much support from the whole system. All of the trade unions that are involved um, in the mental health services are backing this. The Royal College of Nurses are backing it. The Royal College of Psychiatrists. Um, Even NHS England are are backing it uh, as well now, and the CQC. So there's a huge coalition of support. The advocacy organisations, Mind, Rethink uh, Mental Health, Young Minds, have all been brilliant in uh, giving us stories, examples, helping to persuade other MPs, particularly uh, Conservative MPs, to get behind uh, this campaign. So, you know, this is going to be a big reform when it gets through, and I hope it will be through before the end of the year. But it's not just down to us in Parliament that have made this happen. Mm. It's all of the people out there that care about equalities as an issue. So what then can listeners to the Progressive Britain podcast do to support your campaign and your effort? 
Yes, of course. Well, we have a, there's a petition on 38 degrees called um, Shenny's Law, which people can sign. We're up to about 70,000 the last time I looked. So we'll put a link brilliant. at the bottom of this podcast. Yeah, oh, that's, that. really, that's really helpful. The other thing you, people can do is write to their MP. This becomes more important when we get to third reading is when it comes back to the House of Commons. That's scheduled for the 15th of June. So, so write the, your letters before then. Write your letters in the couple of weeks in particular before that. If you can write to your local MP saying that you're a constituent, saying that you know about this issue, saying that you care about it going through and you want you want your MP to back it as well, that has such a an impact. So if you're new to politics and want to help Steve, you can just write a postcard or a simple letter, mention Shaney's Law, spell S-E-N-I, yep. and put that in the post asking your MP to be there and to support it going yep. through. And then for people who want to be more effective, the more you can add to that and obviously any of the details you picked up from this podcast, and if you can handwrite it, that then is the like super level of MPs taking it seriously. So don't not do it because you haven't got time to handwrite it. Just get something off by email if that's all you've got time to do. But if you do have time, put a bit more detail in there and try it if you can to handwrite it. It all makes a big difference. So I think people on the podcast sometimes who, who don't do politics the way we do as a day job do want to make these changes and want to be behind you. So I think that's, that's good for them to know. Yeah, And there's so much concern about mental health services these days. You know, it's talked a lot about, you know, being a Cinderella service. But, you know, in this case, People are dying because of their gender or their race, and we have to stop that. This is a you know a modern country, one of the richest countries in the world. We cannot tolerate this to continue, and here's our chance as the Labour Party to get that change through Parliament. I think that's all we've got time for, but thank you, Steve Reid, for joining us today. Every week, Connor asks a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on the Friday Review show. What's the question this week? So according to Tony Benn's diaries, during one general election campaign, a Labour phone canvasser got a former Prime Minister on the phone and asked them whether they'd ever thought about getting involved in politics. The Prime Minister replied, well, I was Labour Prime Minister, what else can I do? So the, <laughs> the question this week was, who was that Labour Prime Minister who was phone canvassed? So send your answers to at Connor Pope or at Progress Online on the Twitter or email in office at progressonline.org.uk. Those who get the answer right get the chance to win a Progress mug. So make sure you get your answers in before Friday's show. We need to wrap up now, but we've been delighted to have Steve Reid joining us today. Do send in your questions and comments through Twitter, email or best of all as an iTunes review and we will respond to them on Friday's show with the best iTunes comment winning a prize. And don't forget to subscribe and rate. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton who produced this podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile 
and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.